What is up, everyone? I am so sorry. It's been another long stretch between episodes. I've been saying that now for several months, and I highly apologize. There's just, you know, life is just freaking crazy all the time. It never goes the way you planned, obviously. And then unexpected things happen, and there's a lot of stupid crap going on in the world that I'm seeing and I think I'm the disabled one I don't know I question that sometimes I see a lot of normal people out there that act a lot more disabled than I am I'm just saying um that's a one another reason why I like doing this podcast because I get to see the world and talk about the world all from a disabled perspective but it seems like the world is doing that pretty well all on its own uh, just watch the, the mainstream news. I don't know why you would, but just watch the news and look at how the world and everything going on is just making a complete fool of itself. But that doesn't change. That's no different than what we're used to, not by a long shot. And there's a lot of this right now that I want to talk about going on in the movie business. We got the writer's strike going on right now we got the actors guild strike going on the sag strike i should say um shout out to some of my actor friends um that are affected by this strike and just ridiculous and more going on with the movies we have three movies i want to talk about Today, we have The Sound of Freedom, we got Barbie, and we got Oppenheimer. All different movies, very much in their own regard, but all making statements uh, per se, and all getting different reactions in so many odd and strange ways. And uh, I I don't know, I just need to talk about it, because... This world is so wild, and let's just start with uh, The Sound of Freedom, I suppose. We got this independent film coming out now, that's been out for a while, I should say, sorry, uh, by Angel Studios, who produced the Chosen TV series, uh, the multi-season TV series on Jesus and His Disciples. Uh, It's just basically a TV show on the accounts of the Gospels. And uh, so now now they're able to produce feature films and release them theatrically, which is incredible. So we got these independent films now that are outweighing the major studio films. Like, for example, we have The Sound of Freedom doing better than... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is it. You got these big budget blockbuster sequels that aren't doing great, and then you have these independent films that are doing much better financially, critically, and actually making an impact on society and culture as we know it, making a statement because it's being a voice to what people want to see. They want to see stories that aren't the same crap over and over again. They don't want to see any more remakes. We don't want to see any uh, horrible Disney remakes for sure. Uh, The Little Mermaid, 
you did all right, I suppose. I haven't checked the numbers on that one. I haven't seen The Little Mermaid yet. I know a few people that have, and they seem to have liked it. I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to talk about when I do see it on Disney+. Plus. I'm not going to go over there and see it. I got other things to do, and apparently that's what the reception of that film is saying, that there are better things to do than to rewatch this double-time remake that doesn't need to be that long in the first place, where the first film is like 85 minutes, roughly, and the new film doubles that, which is insane. So, um, okay, so I want to talk right now on The Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who is known for um, his previous roles, starring in The Count of Monte Cristo, which is a great film, and The Passion of the Christ, of course. That's where uh, a lot of his career controversy really began um, when he worked with uh, Mel Gibson on that film. Now, The Sound of Freedom is about the true story of former Department of Homeland Security agent Tim Ballard, who years ago did a sting operation south of the border to catch numerous uh, sex traffickers, specifically child sex traffickers. It's a great story, and it's really cool how uh, they made a film on it, starring Jim Caviezel, showing his story on how he went from the Homeland Security to doing um, more private um, operations. And it's really great. Um, and on how he um, learned how to get involved with the operation and uh, learn how to rescue these children. Now, you would think that would be a universally loved movie, and it's doing great at the box office, which is fantastic. It's doing really great for an independent film. We haven't seen something like this for a while. I mean, other than a lot of the A24 films, which, thank God for A24, because of how they advocate and support independent filmmakers. And they've helped a lot of... and filmmakers today get started. Um, for, for example, um, Ari Aster comes to mind, who uh, wrote and directed Hereditary and uh, Midsummer, um, two horror films that I really love, uh, but made very independently and low budget. And so the independent film industry is making a huge rise and stance, which I completely love and I support. Now, with Sound of Freedom, as I was saying, you would think a movie like this would be being universally loved. It's not. And of course, with anything involving a human issue or anything involving humanities, things like that, it's got to be politicized, right? No, it's not universally loved. It's loved a lot, but then you have people on the left side saying that it's an agenda film for QAnon conspiracy theorists and whatnot, or it's 
another white savior movie that's uh, heavily supported by the Republican right wing uh, further conspiracy theorists. And, uh, you know, this is just... Whether or not some of that is true, that is a distraction from what the truth of the matter really is. And that's the children that this film is trying to um, acknowledge and bring more to the public eye. Because, like, what's going to bring more, I guess, like, attention to topics or issues? Is it going to be a news thing? Not necessarily. It could. Is it going to be a documentary? Sure. But let's be real. What's really going to bring people's attention? It's a story. People love stories. Man has loved stories since the beginning of our creation. Stories are passed down through generations. Oral stories, written stories, and then we have multimedia stories, legends, folklore, uh, whatever you want to call it. Any, any type of story that shares a message or tells something about us or tells something about we are yet to discover. Stories are about reflection and discovery at the same time. Look at Star Trek. Star Trek has told a lot of great science fiction stories. And it's, a, and it's a show about discovery and improvement and enlightenment. And biblically speaking, what helped Jesus to get the crowds and the people of his time when he was here uh, um, doing his ministry? What helped to bring people understanding what Jesus was trying to say. Parables, also known as stories. We cling to stories. Um, um, I don't mean to quote part of the Sound of Freedom movie here, but uh, there's a part at the credits of the movie where it talks about a quote from Steve Jobs saying, the most powerful person is the storyteller. End quote. Absolutely. The storyteller, the director, the writer, the singer, the artist, they are the storytellers. I believe Willy Wonka also said, we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. It's the stories that make the point. This movie, while it may take some creative liberties for obvious filmmaking reasons, why should that take away from the truth of the matter here that's also been going on for thousands of years? And that is child sex trafficking. That is the core of what we should be concerned about. That is what the movie and its story is trying to emphasize. It's got to be in a storytelling kind of way to help bring about the emphasis and the importance and the imperativeness of the matter. That this is going on everywhere. 
that America is the number one consumer of child sex trafficking and child sexual content. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And then you got the left here that are trying to deter the film or push down on the film on something that is telling a true story and bringing a, a truth that is always being pushed down to become a secret. It's not a secret. It's an open secret, like an Area 51 type of thing. We are fully aware that child sex trafficking is going on all over the world, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Miami, in Wisconsin, because Wisconsin has one of the, as far as I was told, and what I remember, Wisconsin is one of the uh, places where child, child sex trafficking is going on and circulated part of it due to the highway system of I-94, I-43 going to all the way le west to I-90. The way it, it runs, uh, Wisconsin has one of the leading uh, navigations of child sex trafficking. It's everywhere. It's going on whether you want it to or not, or whether you want to see it or not, or believe it or not. And this is the film that's talking about that. And they have the audacity to say that it's a film that's being overhyped. How is that relevant to the movie? And then on the, while I do like this other movie, I, I do, I, I, it's got problems, but I do enjoy the film. Uh, I believe it was 1987 or 1988. I do happen to enjoy the film, The the Last Temptation of Christ. Now, when that came out, that had a lot of pushback, of course, from the evangelical Christians and the like, um, which makes a lot of sense. They have every right to. I will acknowledge that Martin Scorsese, who directed The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, something he's, he's always wanted to do. He's always wanted to make a film about Jesus, but in that particular film, he talks about the struggle, hum human side of Jesus. Although at the beginning of that film, he does make a strong disclaimer that The Last Temptation is not based on the Gospels, but based on a book of the same name. Uh, that's it. Nothing more. It, it merely shows what if Jesus didn't go through with it. That's a fair question. While biblically I, I completely disagree with it, it, it's just a movie that wants you to think about faith. And that movie had a lot of backlash too, but for completely different reasons. And then... Now, you got a movie on the other side, The the Sound of Freedom, getting bash, backlashed from the opposite side this time. And so, it's very hypocritical for the film to be pushed down when you got other films promoting all kinds of different forms of propaganda 
whether or not I agree with the propaganda claims on other films is a different story. Um, we'll get to that soon. But Sound of Freedom, excellent film, independent film. If you can go support it, please, by all means. There's even free tickets if you go on the website of the Angel Studios website. They're practically giving away tickets for free to go see the film because they want to bring the exposure as much as possible to bring the thoughts and the dialogue and the conversation into mainstream to bring up more into everyday conversation so that we can better collaborate and begin all of our first steps towards fighting sex trafficking. It's a mission. While it's a good film, it's also a mission statement that needs to be observed and taken seriously. If you're someone that wants to sit there and miss the whole point of the film, critique the film for being overhyped. Not just critique it, sorry. I should say if you want to politicize the film for all these other reasons, such as that it's a conspiracy theory, mo theory movie, or that it's only a right-wing agenda film, or saying that it's another white savior film. No, you're missing the point, and you're making a political move, and as usual, making it political instead of making it a humane conversation. And that kind of goes into the next film I saw last week. Um, I did go see Barbie early uh, before the nationwide um, opening release date. Um, I saw it with my, um, I saw it with a couple people, I should say. And I thought it was fine. I like Marco Robbie. I like Ryan Gosling. Uh, I believe the writer-director Greta Gerwig. She's actually a pretty decent writer and director. And from the get-go, this movie was also getting controversy, saying that it was propaganda for feminism or propaganda uh, 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 for women to go against men and I watched the film and again it was fine there is a lot of very I mean it's very heavy-handed on the message part sorry part of the message of that what's trying to say um the internet will say that it's a bigoted movie against men or that it's a movie hating on men that all men are stupid idiot bigots um maybe i picked up on that i picked up on that yes i think it's like like you could say it's satire but they make it so blunt it's like it's hard to take it as satire um like the setup is that barbie and ken have to go to the real world and figure out who is playing with Barbie and making her feel different. Barbie is starting to go woke. You know what I'm saying? Um, in the film, Barbie is starting to feel existential. She's feeling a little bit, you could say, an existential. She's becoming more self-aware of things. Like She's like, do you ever think about dying? 
and everyone looks at her like she's a freak. Her feet don't go on her toes anymore. Her feet now go flat. It's kind of hilarious how they uh, make that little segue into that. And so um, in Barbie world, uh, all the women um, run everything. Um, and all the men are dumb idiots who hang out at the beach. And uh, then they go home to their Barbies at night. Or if they're married, that is. And so uh, that's the one hand. And then on the other hand, when Barbie and Ken go to the real world, Ken discovers how in the real world all the men um, are running things. So, you know, kind of a matriarchy versus patriarchy type of setup. And Ken is inspired, and he wants to eventually bring that back to Barbie world. Now, that's the setup. And so it's kind of clever how they're uh, showing it from Barbie's perspective. And then you got Ken going to the real world and seeing how it's the opposite. So kind of they, they kind of want to make the point of how um, women want to discover and see um, a world where the women run the world. And then they're kind of showing it as now men can understand how women feel. They kind of do that double uh, meaning flip-flop. And I think the writing there is kind of clever. I don't know. I'm a writer. I like, I'm a filmmaker. I like the creativity of that, it, and trust me, it makes its point very strongly. Um, like most of the film is uh, um, trying to literally say something about the social issues of gender equality and all that jazz. Um, the characters are great. Uh, I wish they did a little more with them, of course, and uh, something a little more. I mean, but at the same time, it's a Barbie movie, you know? Like, it's just a movie, and that's all I have to say, really, about it. It's just a dumb movie that wants to teach young girls about women empowerment. Do they go a little overboard? Yes. Very much so, but at the same time, uh, I'm not sure, like, if it, is it being obvious and blunt? Because, like, it's trying to be satire for young girls who are who need to like um be a little more literal in what the movie is saying or is the movie written like as a self-aware joke it could be either or really like is it all a joke and it's all just for fun is it kind of like satire making fun of satire uh it could be that too it could be a lot of things there's a lot of layers believe it or not, to the writing of Barbie. And I don't know, I thought it was stupid, but I kind of had fun with it at the same time. Really, I'm probably never going to watch it again, uh, unless uh, a friend of mine wants to watch it, sure. But I'm not going to theater again, that's for sure. But that's the thing, it really does make men look like stupid idiots. But at the end of the day, when they make their speech, you know, like, they have to have the speech at the end on what the movie is about. It is very sweet. I will say that. It's very tender about that, about help, helping 
women in their image and uh, not looking to the Barbie for their image, but for their believing in that they are strong and that they can do a lot of things. It's trying to get back to the message what Barbie means. Of like, um, it's not necessarily about one gender being superior over the other. That's not the message of the movie. I got that the movie is saying that there is, ironically, a form of complementary that they combine together. That uh, not one gender is a hundred percent in charge. It's not a hundred percent men nor should it be 100% women. And I respected that. I was not really expecting the movie to go that route. Uh, like, while it makes fun of both, which is kind of fun. That's what a satire should do. It makes fun of both men and women. And uh, it kind of shows, like, you know, um, it should be a complementary thing, equal, gender equality in many different ways. And I thought that was fine. And, you know, it's just a fun, stupid movie. I had fun with it. The sets are beautiful. It's a really well-made movie, I have to say. And, like, the the crude-looking thing sets are supposed to be crude. Because it's a lot of movie is a joke. It really is. And I, know, I had fun with it. I love Margot Robbie as Barbie. Ryan Gosling as Ken was hilarious. I thought everybody else in the movie was hilarious uh, to a certain point. Um, the third act of the movie is probably, it gets really ridiculous. Like, you got the Kens fighting the other Kens and all that. I know it's making a point of the genders having war within each other. And that goes a long way, too. Like, you could say that about race and other minorities. Like, you got, in real life, you have women going against women. Because um, you have that old saying of the only people who understand women are other women and they hate each other. It takes that, it puts it on men. And if you go outside of that, you can put that on black people. You can put that in the LGBT community. Uh, within every minority, within every group, uh, what the, th the thing is that people don't want to talk about is that within the group, there is still toxicity. From what I hear and from what I've been told and, and talked with other people in every group, there's a lot of toxicity uh, in, within the black people groups. There's a lot of toxicity... Um, among gay people and the rest of the LGBTQA plus uh, members, there's a lot of toxicity in so many groups that make the group overall look bad. And so that's the thing. I respect that. And the writing of the movie, that's what I got. Maybe it's just me. I, I got the stupidity of the movie. I got the self-aware ridiculousness of the movie, and I got a lot of the satire kind of um, that every group should be equal in some way, but that there's also toxicity in every group, whether it's male, female, black, white, gay, 
transgender. Uh, there's toxicity in everywhere. And so it's about understanding each other within your subgroups and finding the equality with each other. It's not 100% XYZ. It's not 100% male, female. That's not the point. And we're always trying to make it that way. I believe there is a structure. Yes, I believe there is a God-given structure. I believe that the man should lead the wife and his family, but also that the the, um, the woman or and the, uh, the wife should uh, be the supporter, the comforter, the nurturer, and that she is his companion. They are companions. It's a companionship. And I don't know, that's what I got. Um, if you want to look at it biblically, I suppose, I thought the Barbie movie, in a weird way, in a very secular way, uh, showed that there is a companionship to all of it. And to make one group less than the other is utter atrocity. I don't know. I had fun with the Barbie movie. I thought it was fine. If you want to go see it, go ahead. Just have fun with it. Don't overthink it. The message is very blunt, but I think they do it on purpose for multiple reasons. Um, I think it's trying. I think it's a little more clever than people thought think it is or thought it was gonna be. And I think people misunderstood the previews and they're misunderstanding it now. Like I don't think it's trying to be more than what it actually. Is. I think it actually makes fun of that, the joke of it trying to be more than what it is. I don't know. I think it's clever and self-aware on all fronts. I don't know. I think that's why I kind of enjoyed it, honestly. And uh, so, yeah, if you can go see it, sure, uh, maybe not pay full price if you're not willing to, um, I don't know. I don't know. Don't pay full price. Like I did on opening night, basically. Um, just wait, wait to video, if anything. Wow, I'm old. Wait to streaming, I should say. I enjoyed it. It's fun. It's stupid. It's self-aware. Now, moving on to the other end, uh, where we get this whole Barbenheimer uh, kind of clash, even though people are loving both of the movies. Uh, so then we got Oppenheimer, directed, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, based on the book American Prometheus, uh, about the, the life story, not the life story, but about uh, the man, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who helped build the atomic bomb. How he came up with the physics and with the science and had to... Um, get America convinced to build it, and it's a really good character study, starring Killian Murphy, who is one of my favorite underused actors, and I think he's finally, besides Peaky Blinders, finally getting the front page attention and observation he should have gotten for 
I should say decades now. And he's finally getting it in this big blockbuster of Oppenheimer and playing the role of the man who is struggling internally and morally on creating the atomic bomb, giving birth to it, basically. And you have this struggle of, what did I just create? And it's interesting because it doesn't really show much on the bomb itself. Um, you know, that's what people are expecting. That's what they show in the trailers. But they also show in the trailers that this is going to be more on the man himself. And that's what it does. And, I mean, you don't even see uh, the bombs being dropped on Japan. You don't see that at all. You hear it in the background, on the radio, in the dialogue throughout the three-hour runtime of the movie. It's uh, it's about, um, for the three hours, you got Oppenheimer um, proposing the idea and the physics that he wants to bring, um, bringing the bomb idea to America, where they're going to do it. Let's do it down in New Mexico. And so um, that's, a, that's the first act of the movie. The second act of the movie is testing the bomb, the build-up to the testing of the bomb. And that's a great scene. That's great. Uh, the build-up, like, the, like the, uh, the immediate build-up to like the 10, 9, 8, the countdown and all that. And the execution of it, how you see the bomb ignite first and then you have to wait a couple minutes for the actual sonic boom sound uh, to hit you. That's probably not the right terminology, but whatever. For the sound to get to you, just so great. I saw the movie in 70 millimeter um, with a good friend of mine and it just looked fantastic. Like, it, it didn't have that crisp clarity that a lot of high-budget, big-screen movies do now, or been doing for a while. It had more of the old-school film grain look. Uh, like It looked like a, a product of its time. Very much. I thought that was awesome. Like, there were so many shots where it looked like it was a movie in color, of course. A color film from between the 40s and the 70s. It just had that grainy look. It, I, I just loved it. It was beautiful that way. And so they test the bomb, but then the rest of the movie, a lot of the backbone of the movie actually is about the political hearings associated with J. Robert Oppenheimer. Is he a communist? Was he working for the Soviets? Is he a spy for the Soviets? Or, uh, like, uh, is he building the bomb for them and then giving them the ideas? All this is going on while he's trying to work on getting the bomb tested, executing it, and then dealing with the aftermath. Internally, personally, mentally, judicially, politically, you have all these layers going on with J. Robert Oppenheimer that I didn't even know of. 
And um, I think this movie was very faithful to that. It's more of a character study, as I was saying. It's not about the big boom, you know, so don't go in there expecting, oh, this is big booms and explosions. This is not a Michael Bay movie. No. This is a Christopher Nolan film, and Christopher Nolan is very bombastic and extravagant with his filmmaking. Big, wide uh, picture framing, a loud um, score. I mean, really, it's the score that carries this movie because uh, you need to pay attention. And I think it's kind of funny. I think the having the score play for 95% of the movie is a way to, you know, keep your attention. Cause it's a long movie. It's long. You really start to feel it in the last 30 minutes or so. Um, I'm not going to get too much into that. Uh, but there's some dialogue scenes. And there's a lot of them. I wish did not have the score. Because, you know, you want to you wanna really hear it and things like that. Um, it didn't bother me. You read so much. Uh, so much. Uh, I, I listened to Red Letter Media talk about this film. And I love them. Shout out to Red Letter Media. We're both from uh, Milwaukee. So they're fantastic. Uh, so some of them I disagreed. Some of their points I disagreed on that. Um, the, if anything, the score helped me stay engaged in the film. That's just me, though. Because uh, it plays throughout. Like, it's nonstop for three hours. And you just really get into the struggle, humanity of Oppenheimer. Uh, dealing with his relationships uh, romantically and sexually. Um, trust me, there was a lot of that in it, so be self-aware. Um, but it's trying to really get you into the persona of Oppenheimer and his internal, you could, <laughs> you could say his internal combustion on it, the anxiety. It's a very anxiety movie. Like, you really, I think that's what helps with the music. Like, you really feel his anxiety throughout that stage of his life, of making the bomb, selling it, uh, not selling it, but like trying to uh, get it approved for funding, testing it, all the way to his political hearings. You get this entire, it's, it's, like, it's like anxiety the movie if, is, is what it is. And Killian Murphy just kills it. You see the eccentric character of J. Robert Oppenheimer in his eyes. His drive to go above ideologies, to go above politics, to get this science and creation completed. This achievement that changed the course of mankind forever. And that's the other thing. You got this great achievement, but at what cost? This great achievement of a man coming up with the idea of the atomic bomb to blow away thousands, if not millions of people in just a few minutes, if not seconds. 
to create that power and bring it to so many hands? Is it the right hands or the wrong hands? You created the power that literally changed history. And then you see in his eyes, I mean, first you see the eccentrism or the eccentric character of Oppenheimer that is driven and willing to go above and beyond. But then you also see the weight in his eyes. Such beautiful casting, my goodness. I know Kelly Murphy has worked on uh, like half of Christopher Nolan's other films. He was Scarecrow and Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Um, he was in Dunkirk. And um, so he worked, he worked with him. And so then you have, or it was, he was in Inception, that's right. Also in Inception. So he knows what he's doing together with him. And he was perfect to finally play a lead role in such a big film. You see, you, you are, you're rooting for Oppenheimer to do this. But then you feel, you play along with his emotions with him. You ride along with him. And then you see the, the dread and the weight of, what did I do in his eyes? Absolutely incredible. And then you wonder, like, what have my decisions done to other people? You know, we think of so much controversy that's going on in the world, whether it's the sound of freedom bringing attention, more attention to the mainstream about child sex trafficking or the Barbie movie uh, talking about gender equality. I mean, that's just one thing. Or you got Oppenheimer talking about the past and how have we responded and paid the consequences of generational trauma and the 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 final sorry the the later generations paying for the cost of going all the way back to one man deciding and being so driven and eccentrically wanting to create the atomic bomb you know it's not all on him either it really isn't, and what he had to fight for. And, you know, he knew, he felt the guilt after a while. He knew what he did. You know, he gets so caught up in the achievement and the accomplishment, you kind of put aside the consequences, you know? Whether it's child trafficking or social issues, or creating the atomic bomb, these achievements, these things we do to each other, to ourselves, these things where we're in the moment, we create a platform for these things in the moment, but we never think about how it's going to affect people in this generation, our loved ones, the people around us, and the further generations. Talk on it. We don't think about that. 
And that's really what I've been thinking about watching all these films. We don't think about the consequences of our sins, of our personal sins, our private sins. We think it's going to be immediate. No, the consequences can come way later, years, decades, generations later from one decision we made or a series of decisions we made. Those can come back later, those consequences. And so we don't think about them. But are we willing to put that weight on our shoulders? Are we willing to put that dread in our eyes? The consequences we make today very well affect the generations down the road. As maybe someone in your own family, in your gener in past generations, passed something down to you. Or collective decisions we've made as communities, cultures, nations, societies. Decisions we've made that have affected later generations. Maybe it is atomic warfare or nuclear warfare. The fact that we have access to nuclear missiles at any time, any moment. The fact that we have that access to do it just with a touch of a button, supposedly. I don't know how that all works. There's codes and stuff like that. But the fact that it's there is very frightening and very consequential. To have that power to execute the end of the world, we can do it. Theoretically, we can do it at any time. We can be like, you know what? This is enough. Let's end it. There are days when I'm fine with that. Sure. Go for it. You know, to hell with it. Blow it up. You know, I know where I'm going. I do want to go home and be with Christ. But the fact that we're not there yet shows that we have more work to do. But it frightens me that those consequences are never going to end. Choice and consequence are all around us. And so, we got to really think, what are my decisions today going to do tomorrow, next week, next year, my future kids, your kids now, your family members now, your friends, <laughs> future generations of society, what are your decisions going to do to them, and they will. Of course they don't think about it now. We can't see the grand plan. Did Oppenheimer see it? No. Maybe immediately, but he doesn't see it. I don't even, I don't know if he even thought about or had any idea what we're capable now ever since he brought the atomic bomb into our hands. And of course, something like that back then had to be politicized 
We have to beat the Russians. We have to make a bomb before Germany does. It's ego. It's pride. Nothing has changed. And that's what God hates the most. It's pride. When I think of pride, I think of stuff like that. Putting something else or yourself before the greater good of mankind. That's real pride. I mean, I congrats people on their achievements, but what is going to happen with that choice in the future? What are we doing today to make a difference? You know? What are we doing now? Why is no one saying the obvious? That our choices today have an impact tomorrow? Heck, while I'm sitting here talking, I could be creating some kind of uh, foundation to help fight child sex trafficking. I could be doing that right now. Anyone could be doing that right now instead of doing their dead-end jobs or things like you can make a difference in yourself today, right now, in your family. Enough with your excuses. Our excuses. You know, here in America, we have it so easy. Um, let's look at it from a Christian point of view. Christians being burned alive in Pakistan for their faith. And over here, we get mad over a parking ticket or getting pulled over for a speeding ticket. All these little inconveniences that we call persecution? No. But that's a conversation for another day. I know I could... I yelled about persecution being a disabled person I've made public accusations and gotten my reward for it. It felt good in the moment, but, and there were positive consequences about it. It, it has helped people, but then I think about what are the negative consequences of trying to put myself and my own group ahead of another group, whether it's disabled people being quote-unquote more important or prioritizing the disability community over other communities, whether it's the gay community or helping with child sex trafficking. If I can put all that effort into a disabled issue and to support the disabled community or it's your own thing something you're proud about that you put all your effort into that you want to make a difference in or that you put into every day take all that energy into something that can make a positive difference or you can make another bomb it's up to us I guess but anyway Oppenheimer is a fantastic film masterfully directed it looks fantastic the the director of photography aka the cinematographer beautifully shot film wonderfully acted i didn't even get time yet to talk about robert downey jr in the film 
There's a lot of great people in here besides Killian Murphy. Florence Pugh, who I love. She's beautiful. Great actress. Wonderful person. I hope. I haven't met her, but I hope to meet her someday. Emily Blunt. Um, again, Robert Downey Jr. Fantastic. I barely recognized him until he took off his glasses and went seen. I almost fell out of my wheelchair. He was fantastic. If he doesn't get a Best Supporting Actor nom, if not win, oh my goodness. He was probably the the best character in the movie besides Oppenheimer himself. He was great. He was like the villain of the movie. I suppose Robert Downey Jr.'s character, I think he plays uh, Dr. Strauss. I could be wrong. I'd be embarrassing if I was. Um, but yeah, fantastic movie. Acting. A really important message. It is very long. So get comfortable. Pay attention. Because some of it goes kind of quick in the beginning. The first act is pretty jumpy with the editing. But then the last act of the movie kind of drags. But it's intense at the same time. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, great movie. Go check it out. Go see it. All these movies I liked in different ways. Um, so I think it just says something with how we respond to all three of these movies. One being a independent film trying to give light to a message about what's really going on in the world um, with the elite and all that. Yes, I believe that some of the elite, if not a lot of them, are involved in all of this. I believe that, yes. Um, but just shining a light on something that's been going on for uh, thousands of years. And then you got the Barbie movie um, talking about all kinds of different things, but it plays it off as a big joke. So if you can see it that way, you'll enjoy it a little more. But Oppenheimer as well, fantastic. Go see that movie if you can. Um, definitely support Sound of Freedom. Maybe go see Barbie at a discount price if you're unsure about it. Uh, Will Ferrell's in the movie, and he's just Will Ferrell. And it's it's really stupid, but I thought that that's the thing. That kind of stuff was really dumb. Um, but if you can have fun with it, go have fun. I needed it. My family needed it at the time. Just so We just needed something fun because it's a movie, you know? And then Oppenheimer, go support that as well. Just beautiful. And it's a great message on achievement and consequences. You know, especially being a scientist, whether you're Oppenheimer or Einstein or Schrodinger, um, all these different scientists, uh, Pavlov, <laughs> uh, Pascal, all these great scientists that um, make great achievements, but it also means consequence. So I think it's a great message. All these movies have different messages. Check them out. That's all I have to say about it uh, from a disabled perspective because I'm also considered a minority. So check them out. God bless you. Talk to y'all soon. Remember, always stay classy. Take care.